Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. And we pray, O oh Lord, for all those who are sick. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for adding me. <clears throat> Especially our invalid friend, Mike. I'm going to start my own leper colony up here. Lord, he doesn't want to be sick. <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> I just, I need more faith. Do I, do I sound pretty sick? I sound pretty sick in my own head. You yeah, sound, you sound sick. sick. I don't know if I'd say pretty yeah. sick. The first thing I thought of when you opened your mouth was, oh, Mike's sick. I wonder if he has COVID. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Doing all right. I, I have been pretty secluded into my room, though. Mm-hmm. Having people bring me food and medicines and things like that. You watch any good movies? No. No good movies. I've been doing army training mm. up in my room. And it's been all virtual. Oof. So it's, it's been kind of nice to be sick now because I, I can just keep doing it. Do you have um, to do like monkey bars in the climbing wall and stuff virtually? Yeah, they they have you set it up in your room. Mm-hmm. And then you and just then like play just a shooting. Do you play like Fortnite on. for marksmanship? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, they got to teach you how to maneuver with the toggle stick mm-hmm. move your guy around uh-huh mm. it's the future of combat well, i mean with drones and stuff the army basically is a big video game now that's the air force okay the army's oh. different we're real we're real people mm-hmm. the chair force is just people behind computers <laughs> oh that's a good burn i've never heard it oh yeah dude that's a popular one chair force i've heard them called bus drivers bus drivers yeah, the air, the air force. i respect the air force let it be known. Okay. I, I respect anybody who serves, except Mike. Yeah. I do not. I do not respect the Air Force. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I do. Um, and then I'm reading this really good book <laughs> series. So I've, I've been trying to stay busy, uh, sticking my head in books and things like that. So, yeah, it's been good. What's what the book, book series? series? It is called The Wheel Babysitter of Time. Babysitter Club? Oh. <laughs> Um, and the wheel of time is, I think they just made an Amazon prime, uh, TV show based on the, on the book series, but was, it was given to me by a couple of parishioners back in the day. And it's, it's like a fantasy type, uh, book series that is a lot like Lord of the Rings actually so much. So I told you this Connor, but one of their terrain features, the topographical features is called the, the mountains of mist. Mm. Which is different. It's similar, mountains. but it's different than the Misty Mountains. It's definitely mm-hmm. different. No, it's very yeah. different. Which is very, also different than the different. mountains of Bisque. That's true. Is that your, which is, is I'm that assuming biceps? where you live. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let's see the mountains of Bisque. That's <laughs> your biceps. That's good. Anyways. Because <laughs> it's the same kind of allegorical value as uh, Lord of the Rings, dude. And then, and then, Middle Earth could be your pecs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's similar. It's similar but different. Um, 
but it you know has the same idea as a, a creator and it weaves the wheel of time and has a pattern that follows these certain characters that are yeah i can see definitely like christ-like analogies in them but more than anything it's just a fun story as of right now and there are 14 of these books mm. and each of them are like 800 to 900 pages whoa yeah and so we're just diving in and you can basically read as much as you want <clears throat> and not run out of reading yeah that's a lot of pages that's dude. nice dude. That's a lot of words it is a lot of words. I was hoping, man. Well, it's snowing like crazy here, so I can't read fourteen hundred pages in two snow days. Unfortunately, if you believed in yourself, you could. Right? Is Are it you as a fast reader? Like in in a situation like that, like how many hours are you reading a day, and how many pages roughly would you say? Um, with this, I don't get stuck in like the details of the book and the mm -hmm. story, just kind of like let the story go and take in relevant information as it comes and just kind of enjoy it. So I, I bet I read probably a hundred pages in three hours, something like that. I know, so 30 pages an hour mm -hmm. or so. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, but that makes sense to know. me. Yeah. I'm not a super fast reader either. Yeah, I'm not the same. Is it as uh, is it as poetically beautiful as Lord of the Rings? No, I would say not. Um but apparently the the story like the way that it unfolds is is pretty spectacular. And I had uh, a priest friend that I actually respect and he gave a cool compliment to the book that I've never heard somebody use in terms of literature. And he said there was like three or four moments in the series that he thought, wow, I didn't know you could do that with writing and storytelling. <laughs> and so I, I can definitely see the potential for stuff like that to occur. Did he um, say specific, like with the technique of it or the surprise of it or what's the, do you know yet? No, he didn't go into any detail with it. Mm. Um, you're going to flip a page and it's going to be a pop-up book. He's like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, my god! Whoa. Gosh, oh, there's I... the Mountains of Bisque right there in <laughs> real life. He's been working out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued. I was going to yeah. to loop back a little bit to your army training and the chair force. I've never understood what's the current uh, motto or the marketing slogan for the army. Is it not Army of One anymore? Uh, now it's Army Strong. See, that I makes sense to me. When I was strong. a kid, it was be all you can be. And then yeah. like when I was a high school, college age, it was Army of One, which would have been the time they would have been recruiting people my age. But I did not understand that at all. Hmm. What did that mean? I thought the Army, like when you join the Army, you're joining something bigger than yourself. Have we talked about this? No. no. What did they Same mean by that? that? Well, I always picture like usually in the ads, there would be just like one guy or one girl who's like, I think it was trying to like tell you that you would become really good at stuff if you join the army and then you're, mm -hmm. you're kind of this like rugged individual because they'd usually be by themselves, like hiking somewhere or doing something hard. Like they're an army of one. Right. Hmm. Well, I wonder if it's playing off the, um, United States motto of E pluribus unum. Hmm. 
out of many one. It. Well, that yeah, made sense to me. Like if it was an army of one, like we were one heart, one soul, one army, many yeah. members. But it seemed to me like it was saying the opposite. We're just a bunch of individuals who are getting something out of this. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I actually heard somebody use that phrase today. He said, I thought we were, we were an army of one. And he was talking about the relationship between the active duty army, the army reserve and the national guard, Mm. which are all kind of a part of the army, but then they all have to operate together in their like logistical and tactical maneuvers. Mm -hmm. So he was saying we're not operating like one, but we're all like disjointed. Hmm. And he said, I, I thought we were an army of one, but. Oh, so maybe within intra army, it's understood to mean that. Yeah, maybe. But that also wouldn't make sense of why they use it as a campaign for marketing civilians. Right. Nobody would know that. And the bigger question is why army? It sounds like walkie talkie. It kind of, what does that word come from? <laughs> it's kind of sounds like a kid word. It does. You ever, you ever heard the joke? Where does the where does the king keep his armies? <laughs> yeah, In his sleeves. <laughs> I have heard that one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. In in Spanish, it's ejército. Ejército. Dios de los ejércitos, God of the armies, yeah. God of hosts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. De los soldados. Oh man, what if you were called the ho- um, the U.S. host? The wow, that would be pretty cool. That'd be sick. A host of a fighting force, a host of warriors. Man, mm. it, uh, there has been a type of spirituality that it has resonated with me, and um, like I've prayed to the Lord with it. This idea of being a soldier of Christ does does that do anything for you guys? Which the the church previously used to be called the church militant, mm-hmm. uh, the church on earth, and. It's not not that now, but it's more popularly called the the Pilgrim Church. But I know that's always spoke deeply to my heart mm-hmm. um, to be a to be a soldier in that sense. Does that do anything for you guys? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think of the the thing that came to mind initially was uh, the two standards meditation of of Ignatius. Of just trying to imagine that's been that's been like a powerful experience um, for me. And if anyone doesn't know, like what that is, it's part of the the thirty day exercises. But I think like commonly used elsewhere of just doing some imaginative prayer and and kind of envisioning um, Satan's army, which is it's like kind of this grotesque show of of power. So I always it's just like yeah, it has like a um, like a sulfury just um, kind of, uh, grotesque showmanship, uh, to it of all these promises of like luxury and power and with it where Christ's standard, the other one is, um, like very simple, but, but strong. And, and so you kind of meditate on, on the two standards and then just discern like where you're at in your life. And, um, I've always found that to be, I've always found that to be a very powerful meditation. Yeah, it's kind of to me uh, <clears throat> intertwined with the call of the earthly king too, because mm-hmm. that's uh, you're supposed to imagine a king calling you into his service. Only in order to serve him, you have to eat what he eats, sleep where he sleeps, go where he goes, um, and you're supposed to realize, like, of course you'd serve a king that's willing to do everything that he asks me to do, you know. Um, 
And so how much more the King of heaven, God himself, who came and lived our life and had nowhere to lay his head and had no riches to call his own and is calling us into this kind of radical trust and to follow him regardless of what comes. But the same thing, I think, with the two standards in the armies is um, I think the evil one coaxes members into his army and he sends out through all the earth his minions to like recruit his army, which is the, the devils, the demons, first through riches and then honor and then pride, I think. Um, whereas Christ and the angels and saints go out to offer people poverty, insults, and humility. Um, which obviously, like you're saying, this this simple kind of humble army versus this showy, power apparently powerful army on the on the evil side. But like the the truth of it, I, I remember. Um, when I was on my 30 day, we did a sharing of graces and, and a fellow seminarian shared his vivid imagination of what this scene looked like. And I don't know if it's like alien movies or some kind of horror movie kind of trope where it'll be like the chick chick. It'll kind of like click and it's like you see this face, but then you see like the horror face and then it clicks back, you know, like and you see the, the real zombie behind the fake mask. Do you have you ever seen that kind of camera trick before in oh, a movie? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and you just displayed it really well. I was there. <laughs> the click, click. Tick, tick, Where it's like it's like a little girl, and then all of a sudden it's a skeleton, and then it's a little girl again or something, you know? See, did it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's freaky stuff, man. It that is stuff freaky. Because it's showing you like, oh, all, it's not all that meets the eye, you know? Um, and, oh, my gosh, there's a really creepy scene in Leprechaun like this. I'm just thinking of now. Remember those movies? Oof, no, do not watch them. They're old movies from the 90s that were horrible. Are they similar to Were Deer? <laughs> I'm sure that Were Deer has more <laughs> cinematic value than okay. Leprechaun. Um, anyways, he he imagined it as like that. Like Jesus is this, you know, scourged, poor, insulted, humiliated man. But the truth is that he's this stately noble king dressed in glory. Um, whereas the evil one is this, you know, glory worldly glory all the trappings of of worldly success and honor but then deep down like the click click you see that he's this like disfigured curved in on itself miserable ant um and so you you have to have the eyes to see the true like this standard is the one that i actually want to so it's it's meant to move the affections as all the spiritual exercises are it's not just supposed to be like, I'm supposed to want to be poor and humble and be insulted. And so I'm just going to try to want that. But to like see the goodness behind the truth behind what's what's apparently, you know, not valuable. That actually that's what I want. Hmm. And that's who I want to serve, what army I want to be in, who I want to fight for and also recruit more soldiers. Because you want to be like I always knew from Ninja Turtles, you want to be on the good guy's side. Because... If you mess up, the good guys always help you and they rescue you. Like if you if you accidentally lose a fight or do something wrong, not on purpose or even on purpose, you're always forgiven by the good guys. Whereas if the, you're working for Shredder and you mess up, you're like you're Bebop and Rocksteady, you're going to get you're going to get yourself handed to you by Shredder because yeah. he doesn't have any mercy. That's a great no. point, dude. 
I th- I've always associated too. I don't know if Ignatius talks about this specifically, but associated like a certain amount of um, like there's a lot of fear involved with the standard of the enemy. I think like the mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings, um, honestly, the, in the books, of course, but like the movies as well. I think portray that like really well. Of like the, I mean, even the scene that's coming to mind is like at the end of the third one when they actually go to the the gates and there's it's in the extended version but uh what's the is it the like the mouth of sauron is that the guy that comes out mm-hmm, to meet mm-hmm, them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, and yep, it's just yep. totally grotesque like everything is unmasked at that point and so it, then there's like this reliance on fear and that's what he's trying to do this like mouthpiece for the evil one is just he's kind of like taking the gloves off and just trying to instill fear through lies. Mm. And um and it's like the acting is very good in in the scene cuz you can see it like kind of dawning on all of them that they're believing the lies and then the king <clears throat> Aragorn he like beheads the mouth of Sauron he says he won't believe it. So there's some cool images there. One my one of my favorite scenes in the movies is when <clears throat> They go to the gates and um, I think it's just, he says like for Frodo and Aragorn takes off running. But then the the first two that run after him are Merry and Pippin, who are like these little hobbits. And so they're slower mm. than everybody else, but they go first because it's their friend. And so that's always been like an image of the two standards for me there mm. of like, there's a reliance on relationship and friendship, like versus fear and isolation. Yes. Man, that's so good. That's so <clears throat> stinking good. And see, so all of that, that's that's why that stuff is like just it's a it's a masterpiece. Uh, because even within so you have like those little components that make up the relationships that end up being the rise and the fall of the good guys and the bad guys, the light and the darkness. But then even within their own hearts, like Tolkien does a good job of breaking those things apart as well. Um that you have, yeah, these individual friendships are the things that move people into the light. Um, and, and so it takes place on these really small scales, but then even the large strategic scale of like Sauron, the big dark enemy fighting against the, the great light of Gandalf and King Aragorn and all these hosts that come out to meet them and the, you know, in front of the gates a part of what they play on there is the evil one. He tries to, like you said, instill fear by this show of force. And because he does that, he moves all of his troops to the front of this gate so that he can try and scare them away and defeat them. But Sam and Frodo, because they're so small and simple, that's actually the way that they become victorious Hmm. is by actually sneaking through in their littleness. And so it's like, if you try and play, the other game, like you're going to lose at it. You have to play a different type of a game. Um, and even within the hearts of like Frodo and Sam, yeah, they're doing it for all of middle earth and all those different things. But there, there is one scene in the, in the book Tolkien goes into it specifically with Sam when he has to take the ring and it's the inter the inner monologue that Sam has with himself about Sam, the great and Sam, the wise, how if he put on the ring, he would just be this amazing guy. And and he's Whoa, like, was that a ah. rap you just wrote? Well, yeah, Sam Did, the was Great, it? Sam the Wise, and if you put the ring, I'd be such a great guy. 
That's pretty cool. <laughs> dude, I'm delirious. I've been taking all these meds over here, right? <laughs> in bars, dude. <laughs> and and he kind of like listens to himself and, and almost laughs at himself. And he says like, I'm not even interested in those big things. Like I just want a little plot of earth hmm. that I can till with my hand and like just this little family that I can come home to. And, and so there's this like desire for simplicity that actually keeps Sam's heart pure. So it takes place on the, the the lowest level, on the individual level. This is true. And and then it also manifests itself on like the big strategic level between good and evil. Um, and like all that stuff is interwoven into that story. It's in an unbelievable way. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien's genius. Dude, that's one of the reasons I think I'm, I've always had some reservations about when, when especially guys or particularly like seminarians will get into this militant imagery or language about uh, the church and being a Christian and stuff is like where I remember there was an old t-shirt in college. I think it was a Knight of Columbus one where it was like this like military, it was like a Knight's glove, you know, like an armor thing with like a sword and somehow like made the rosary look like it was a thing to kill people with. You know what I mean? And, it was supposed to like appeal to our aggressive, assertive, manly, masculine, whatever. But to me, it just kind of like rung really tinny and um, honestly a little cringy, as they would say today. <laughs> um, where I think what what the two standard thing purifies is that we all know, like deep down, that the world is not as it should be, and what is good in us that wants to do God's will, even though our wills do rebel against God's will. Um, and so we experience conforming ourselves to his will as suffering, like renunciation, um, as we're being formed and becoming more who we are through baptism, another Christ, a member of his body. Like all that stuff is happening through God's grace, but it it looks like often humiliation or or just f- pure suffering and alienation. Um, so it's not like this great show of force. It's like the ac- exact opposite often. The war that's really being waged and won in our hearts and then makes us zealous to go out and and fight for the lost ones, you know, even to fight for the ones that are on the other side fighting against us, you know, like, that kind of love is so not confrontational in the sense we're used to seeing it, you know? And I do think like those who tend to use that imagery a lot are ones that are kind of like looking for a pretense. I don't want to judge, but seem to be looking for a pretense to hate the other side and to, to like feel very righteous in their anger towards them. You know, like this is a war and we're fighting and, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, in fact, what's where the enemy is at is in that pride. At the risk of, of being prideful myself and diagnosing that, but do you know what I mean? Like I've seen it in myself, so I know it's true. Um, that yeah, there, is, I, there is a temptation to make, make our own knowledge of ourselves on God's side to be like a, an excuse to um, not be humble. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to, I love that, 
the scene that you talked about with Sam, like saying like, I just want a little plot of land. It's actually because I relate so much to what you said, Bisk. Like the only one of the quotes that I have in my office, and it's just on a little piece of paper. I taped it up, but it's uh, from St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. I think that's how you say her name, but she, her shrine, she's buried in St. Charles, Missouri. And so she was a sister that like evangelized, I think kind of like the Great Plains did a lot of schools. And so I've really grown into devotion to her, but that's what she says as well in this quote is that like God gives us a very small patch of land to till. And, but so you just focus on, on that. And I need reminded of that so often. It's crazy. Um, and I know, I mean, even, yeah, this is, I'm preaching um, at the seat conference for like our campus and a couple others tomorrow and this will be part of the the homily, but not not all of it, but part of it. But I'm just going to tell the story of uh, I just recently went to see. Do you guys did you ever meet Father John Titus? Legend. He preached my yeah. first mass. Yeah, for sure. He always wore Birkenstocks. Always, always. That's yeah, right. he was yeah, my okay. internship pastor. Preached my first mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a zero percent chance of him listening to this, but uh, side note, but he is like, I'm convinced the guy is like an actual saint. And um, man, honestly, like some moments he's, you know, he tells it how it is. Like he's, he's gruff in a lot of ways and really funny. Um, but if you want to see a real saint and not a wannabe saint, then you can go to Mattoon, Illinois and find Father John because all he cares about in the world, like the only thing he cares about is like what God has given him right there. And you can think anything you want about him. I mean, nothing like that's all that's all he cares about is this little pocket of land that he's responsible for and the souls there. Mm-hmm. And if you live like that, it's just like, it's inspiring to be around, man, with like no glamour and no fluff. Yep. It's so real too. Like a lot of the, again, the standard of the enemy is so, so much smoke and mirrors. It's not, it all has to be a show. There's nothing really beneath it. And I think a lot of the blustering and um, shows a force on whatever side or whatever side people think they're on, uh, right or left or good or evil or whatever thing they think they're fighting for. Like usually the humble, usually the John Tituses or whoever. Um, I remember on a mission trip I went on last year or two years ago, there's a guy down in Gallup, New Mexico diocese at this little parish and um, just doing his thing, teaching the catechism to the kids and the adults and the, just humbly doing the work, kind of like what you're describing. And I thought, man, you could do a lot worse than this. I, you know, It's always tempting when I'm in those kind of places to be like, man, if I was just a priest here, I think I'd probably be a saint because you just it's so easy to focus on the things that matter and the people that are right in front of you and not be on the Internet so much and getting mad. And thinking that that's solving any problems. Um, like it's so earthy to be to be responsible for a limited thing. But then that's also kingly. That's the other paradox is that you're, that's the part of the, that's the realm 
of God's realm that he's given you to rule. Um, and that's wisdom too, like just knowing what's beyond your capacity to know or to do anything about and to simply, but then, you know, like people in their houses or their families or certain relationships where I'm called to lead here um, and I can actually do something about it. Well, it's much easier to complain about how the other leaders aren't leading good regardless of how I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Again, I'm just preaching to myself because I know, I know that I do this when I have something hard, I don't want to do that's going to cause me poverty, insults, and humility. I will just say it's someone else's fault <laughs> that this is that the world is the way it is. And not because I refuse to take responsibility for what I've been given to do. That's to me being a warrior, by the way. And mm -hmm. I think that's what, that's the soldiers of Christ. That, that to me is, is inspiring. Um, and it is relational. It's kind of like Sam or what is it? Marion Pippin. Like, yes, I'll go because that's my friend Frodo. Um, I, I have some skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of the, uh, the, the steward King conversation that we had mm. a little while back. Um, I think it's kind of up that same alley and, you know, it also makes me think of uh, there are some amazing, I think it's progressive commercials where... That flow from progressive? Not not flow, not flow. His his name is Dr. Something or another. Captain Obvious? And not Captain Obvious. That's, <laughs> I think, a hotel.com or something like that. But this guy, he tries to, he teaches a seminar on how to not become your parents. Oh, oh those are funny. Very After funny. you start home buying. Yeah. <laughs> are y'all familiar yeah, with that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, so I, you know, I have a couple of siblings that have bought houses and like, I have seen it happen <laughs> right before my very eyes. And there's so much pride and like this desire to take care of this little plot of land and these, these few souls that they've been given. Um, and you know, it's not huge, but it, but it actually is really small, but there is something that just clicks on it seems like in the heart of a of of a guy a heart of i guess in this case particularly like the masculine heart um i'm sure it looks very similar in a feminine heart to some extent joan of arc um, yeah but like i want to take care of this little plot of land that i have here and i want to be a good steward and i want this to be a little kingdom here um, and without fail, all of them, as soon as they bought homes, like I have this little, little area marked out for me that, mm -hmm. that I'm responsible for. And, uh, well, let me tell you, I had a guy over here to like, check out my bat problem. And there's, <laughs> you know, we were up in the attic and, you know, I'll show you all the slats and crevices where the mm. bats can sneak in. And <clears throat> next thing I know, we're like outside and he's pointing up at the roof and, you know, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, what he's talking about, but he's so into it. Mm -hmm. That's his little kingdom. That's his little domain. That's his domicile. Um, I think we experience that in our own ways, uh, it, the spiritual pastoralship uh, portion. But yeah, there's definitely something innate to the human heart that desires to do that and to do it well. Mm. Yeah. Well, even the... Um we may have talked about this on the podcast. It was in the, um, it was in the Peter Kraft interview with Matt Frad. They talked about the end of Lord of the Rings and how they both wept 
when they read it and they it made me go back mm. to it. Did we talk about this already? Yeah, and having, I think you had mentioned it. Yeah, I yeah. remember this. But it's just so like you talk about all this kind of the grandness of that story and how it intertwines in in that. And um but how Tolkien ends the the trilogy is with Sam's little girl sitting on his lap. And like cuz they're safe at home. And then like that was Peter Crave's great like kind of insight to it of like that's why you fight wars. So that like I think it's little Sally can like rest safely on her dad's knee. Yeah. That to me, dude, that's brings up a lot of the mystery of life is like where I can get, I can get up for the fight, you know, like I, I'm definitely feeling that dad energy, dad energy here at the uh, Newman center. And like once now I have this place and I've, you know, watched it transform a little bit, prosper the work of our hands, Lord, you know, here, this is what I did about my bat problem kind of stuff. Um, but like, we're, what about like when you're done, like with the chapel, it's, that's kind of a, a spot I'm in right now. It's like these places where we rest on the way that are a sign of the place where we're going to end up, you know, um, friend of mine says it's heaven all the way to heaven you know like we're going somewhere we're, we're gonna sit at the table with the trinity and it's not gonna be like oh we need to get up and fight and we're just there you know like okay once you're there the fight is over and that's what that book that scene shows is like okay now this is literally happily ever after but isn't that boring you know um but that's where the leisure thing i think we talked about that last time or a couple times ago comes in um, is to be able to be at rest in communion. Um, and that's, that's where some of that militant stuff also in me has been just a restlessness, you know, like I'm unhappy. I'm unsure of my relationships or my identity. And therefore I go out and I fight and I, it's a self-reliant, prideful thing, not a, not a receptive, humble, open thing. Um, you know, in other words, like I'm fighting a fight that's not the actual fight where here's the fight and I won't do it. You know, where, the thing that's in my realm, in my little patch of land, because I, I'm not happy with it. So I just go off and I focus on something else and try to fight that fight, even though I'm, I'm just like shouting at windmills. I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just reading, reading articles online and getting mad and sharing them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. via text with you guys, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought, but that's, that's to me, like the Samwise with his daughter is like, what is your Shangri-La? What is your, what's their place called? The Shire? Um, what is heaven? Because there are four tastes of it here, like where we do, we taste that rest and which keeps us going in the fight. But the fight is not the point. The point, the point of the, the fight is the means, you know? That's what sometimes I worry. I don't, I don't know. And it <laughs> freaks me out because what about when these projects end? What about when the bat problem is solved? Then what? Watch well. Netflix? <laughs> In my domicile? Hmm. I'll just call you guys. Just call, dude. Just call. Yeah, I don't know. You raise a good point because... There is something 
very meaningful and uh, about being productive. And I don't think it's just a, like work does have dignity and we've talked about that before as well. Um, I, so I, I think it's a, it's a lack of ability to imagine what heaven will be like um, that. I don't think it is just going to be all of us sitting around like just infinitely eating as much as we want at this table with the Trinity, but there, like there will be some, I don't know what, I don't know what it will be, but, um, you know, Dostoevsky, he said, uh, if you gave everybody as much food and as much money and as much bread as they want, they would destroy the whole thing just to watch something surprising happen. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's true. That's weird, but it's true. And I don't think that's only the result of the fall, but that I think we're made for something more than just getting everything that we need. Mm -hmm. And that means some like embodied participation in creation in heaven. And I like, I truly don't know what that means, Mm -hmm. but um, like how beautiful would that be if heaven was building the city of God perfectly with the father, like constructing, learning from the father, like you're a kid in a wood shop. Mm. That's so fun. And dad's teaching you everything and you get to work with them and all. If it was like something like that, mm-hmm. um, which there is like, there is a learning in it kind of, healthy toiling that goes along with it um yeah so but uh, i you know i think it's more of a, an exercise to reimagine what that heavenly leisure will look like not so much that we'll just have time to like well let's just kick our feet up and relax um yeah hmm. now you got my imagination spinning it's kind of like the uh that Chesterton allegory talks about where the two boys uh, get a wish and one wishes to be a giant that can walk across continents and one wishes to be like a little Tom Thumb that's an inch tall. And the giant, like in a day, gets sick of his life and dies of boredom because he can like see everything in a single step. So there's no wonder. And then the Tom Thumb guy is, you know, years hence and he's still having an adventure in the backyard. Um, so our perspective on things like the smallness and that, that to me, what, what heaven must be like, like to imagine being bored in heaven is such an insult to God or such a, it's just absolute grandiosity, narcissism to think that God could bore me because I'm so tiny compared to him. Um, but you know, we, we talk about the human scale here. Like how could I even like, can, how could I even have a relationship with God in heaven? Like if it's seeing God face to face, okay, well then I'm just like basically being thrown at the sun and I'll get burned up on reentry. But there's something like his invitation to the table that I kind of, the Trinity is what I was referring to is like, how is it that I can actually be here with you and be friends with you? Um, and it's often what my imagination is seeing is the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's talk about the heaven being like the city. 
And, uh, you know, I live in Chicago. I'm just picturing like, what if it was heavenly Chicago? Like you're saying, like we're building the father with the father. We're building this city. Um, because it is on a human scale. It's for us. He doesn't need buildings to live in. He doesn't need shelter from the rain. Um, but like, here we are on this lake. Like, what would Chicago be like if I was free of all my fear? I had no fear. And there was no one, like, if I walked into this symphony hall, it wouldn't cost me any money. I wouldn't feel awkward that I don't know where to sit or I don't have a ticket. Like, it's just, we all interiorly are ordered and the city is all ordered to communion with God and community with one another. Um, how fun it would be to just explore that city. And I have my job in it and I participate in it according to my identity and my role and my membership in the body. That's a cool thing to think about because that's, to, that's the analogy of like revelation is the heavenly Jerusalem. It's like this city. It's just this complex organism of all these people and buildings and places and culture and stuff. Um, and that is when, like when you do taste heaven is when you feel that on earth, like in a home or, when the Cubs win the World Series or something where you're just like, it just bursts up, something surprising happens. But it's not just a destructive fireworks show, like we're going to burn all the bread. It's like, whoa, something dynamic and lively and creative happened here. And it was out of all of us together. Hmm. You know, that's a cool image. I've never thought of that. If there's building in heaven. I love building stuff, man. Me too. Lego masters. Mm. <clears throat> Maybe think of I, I one of my favorite stories uh, of yours, Bisque, from years past is when you did the uh, Christmas play in Blue Island. Oh yeah, that's always that's always been there's always been something that has struck me in that way of like yeah that's like you know that that's really cool. Anyway, like that, those type of stories of like, mm. there's something right mm. about that story. I could just see it in my mind. Like these kids memorizing the gospel of Luke in some infancy narrative, acting it out, having a real baby Jesus, and then singing Christmas carols around that gazebo. It's so great, dude. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. My my favorite from those, I think it's progressive. I think that is those commercials. So you got like the nerd dad and the, he goes to the bar and he's like, <laughs> has these terrible dance moves <laughs> and he's out there just like clearing space on the dance floor <laughs> and he's doing the guitar stuff. <laughs> and then he yells to his friends, come on, jump in boys. The water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> around uh jalapeno poppers for the boys he's <laughs> <laughs> got like this sweater tied around his waist <laughs> that's a good one i think my favorite one of those is when uh they just have a chair like a single chair and they're standing around it and they have one of the guys sit down and he's like oh, <laughs> And the the guy it just shakes his head and goes, "Okay, that was completely unnecessary." Yeah, <laughs> that's probably my biggest the biggest difference of working out at a college rec center versus an LA Fitness on the in the south suburbs is like I never was <laughs> going to the LA Fitness my parish for four years. The amount of groaning in the locker room was insane. Guys just coming in from their their workout just 
opening the locker. (laughs) I never hear the college kids do that. I wonder, am I doing that? Because I'm almost 40. Oh, my goodness. We'll be soon. I mean, I got four years, but three years, three-ish years. That dude, he puts on a seminar. He goes, okay, raise your hands if you... uh, Raise your hands if you printed off directions to get here today. (laughs) Okay, you're definitely in the right place. (laughs) You woke up at 4 a.m. this morning and couldn't get back to sleep? Nobody cares. cares. (laughs) He has them all. He he wrote up uh, quinoa on a whiteboard. I say, okay, let's take turns trying to... Kuwino way. Oh man, the one that got me, they're at the airport and they're in like the bookstore at the airport. And uh the guy is going to buy like a bag of chips or gummy bears or something, and like the mom comes up and she like hits it and she goes, No, 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 all this stuff is totally overpriced here. And she built, brings out this big foil thing. She's like, I packed all kinds of snacks. And the guy just comes up and he takes it from her and he throws it in the trash. <laughs> I'm for making the sandwich for the plane now. It's like, why why pay all this money for I know. unsatisfying snack food? Because I'm yeah. becoming my parent. We're in our 30s, yeah. dude. I, yeah, it, it makes sense to me. 40. It's still funny, though. Right, it is funny. Um, What was the one you said before the quinoa? Oh, printing out directions. Um, yeah, directions. I watched the new Aziz Ansari. It's like a half an hour special. He just went to the comedy store or whatever one of those uh new york clubs the famous ones and did a set like a surprise set at the end of the night and it's pretty funny um but he's he's kind of been famous uh for critiquing like the whole social media world and algorithmic outrage and whatnot um and he has some funny jokes about it, but he reveals that he uses a flip phone now he finally downgraded to the flip phone and <laughs> no he way said, it's great. Um, the only two things is you have to print out detailed directions when you want to go somewhere you've never been. And uh, texting takes a really long time. Wow. So he calls more people now than texts them. But it was That's actually cool. like when he pulled it out, he was making the joke and he's like, I finally did this and I got my mind back. And he holds up the flip phone. Hmm. And I like my heart leapt. I was like, maybe I could do that. But I don't think I need to. We've talked about this before, and this is ad nauseum topic, but I do think that's a war that can be won. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's that's really great. Okay, hey, so before we finish, uh, do you watch the Coyote Peterson videos? Oh, yeah. No, just the uh, Tarantula Hawk. Did you see the Tarantula Oh, my gosh. Hawk? <laughs> Rob, did you dive into this? No, I haven't yet. <laughs> I haven't. Oh my gosh, dude! It looked. You you think think it was fake, but it looks so. How could it be faked? No, it's not fake. Like his arm is swelling up before before your eyes. Yes. 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 But the way he just takes the thing in the tongs and just puts it on his arm. Uh huh. And lets it bite. Uh Oh my gosh, the buildup is insane. The buildup is insane. What a name for a for a for an insect. Yeah, a tarantula wasp. Does it eat tarantulas or something? Is that why it's called that? I didn't watch. I, I didn't know. watch a lot of the info at the beginning. I just went straight to the cut straight to the bite. 
It's like a 15 minute video, and I know the point of it is the bite. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Now. Like it's you hard to this, fast forward YouTube. You missed all the science stuff, I man. Know. You learned nothing. I, I skipped the lab coat, went straight to the jackass. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm sure we've edified our listeners with the that recommendation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up now. Shout out to well, Megan good. Ulrich as always. We can't say oh, it on yeah. here, but the yeah, the title that she wanted for that episode was that was spot on. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Yeah, and oh, I did want to shout out Megan as well for uh, her newsletter. Her last uh, Wednesday work or whatever she calls her newsletter was outstanding i already emailed her and told her how much i thought of it but um she's a real blessing and i think she should put on our show notes how to sign up for her newsletter so our listeners all are on it that's a great idea she is a super blessing absolutely we're lucky to have her and other people like her on the team well hey guys i gotta go facilitate a class in espanol Hmm, facilitarlo La Misa. So I got to get going, guys. All right. See you, dudes. Hasta luego, Jindobres. Hasta luego. Follow Three Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.